0: Hello and welcome to the African Tech Roundup, episode 49 for the week ending Monday, March 21st, 2016. Yep, this is where we round up the week's most important tech, digital and innovation news from across the African continent. My name is Andile Masugu, the homie Mohapi is away this week. But joining me on the show is a special guest and friend of the show, Zimbabwean tech entrepreneur and researcher, Nzuki Chide Dembo. How's Nzui?
1: I'm well, Andile. How are you doing?
0: I'm dope, man. I'm dope. Hey, I'm seeing your moves on LinkedIn. I see uh, uh, you're into a a new role at uh, Digital Planet. Tell me about that.
1: All right. So Digital Planet is one of the leading uh, e-commerce solution providers in South Africa. Uh, they provide end-to-end uh, solutions, uh, so basically they build and run your website, uh, they provide fulfillment, which is delivering uh, the products, uh, strategic channels, that sourcing the products, and warranty, taking care of the customer once they've actually taken ownership of that product. So as a business analyst, I basically make sure that the stakeholders, uh, the processes, as well as the technology are aligned so as to deliver on the overall organizational
0: goal. And so you'd be servicing a lot of uh, South Africa's blue chip companies in this regard?
1: Yes, that's right. Most of the banks uh, are serviced by us.
0: Well, big up to you. We'll be talking a little more about the research you're doing. I know you're studying with the University of Pretoria. Uh, you've got uh, entrepreneurial interest in Zimbabwe. We'll pick up on some of those things uh, as we go along with the show. Uh, we missed you, though, at uh, the Nest VC uh, What's Next FinTech event last week. I know uh, you, you really wanted to come on and couldn't. It was right down your alley. Pity, though.
1: No, that's right. Uh, next time, I'm definitely going to be there.
0: For sure. And while I'm at that, I might as well just give a quick shout out to the good folks at Nest VC. Uh, Well done to Aaron Fu and uh, Muturi Kanyami and the rest of the Nest Africa team for putting it all together. A big thank you, of course, to Standard Bank, Jayshree Naidu and her team at uh, the Standard Bank Incubator in Joburg. Uh, A big thank you to my phone, of course, uh, the irrepressible Alpesh Patel and his team uh, for their support, and of course, thanks to the teams at iAfrican and the African Take Roundup as well. Of course, if you didn't make it out, good news is we'll be unpacking some of the insights uh, we we, uh, we gleaned from the show in this very episode, so stick around. Uh, of course, a big thank you to Joburg for coming out and making the event super special. Zubi, I totally expect you to, to factor your opinion on everything we play out today. Ready? I'm sure. Cool. <laughs> Great. Fantastic. Otherwise, listen, if you're listening in for the first time, uh, welcome to the show. Head on over to africantechroundup.com to catch up on all our previous episodes. The usual suspects, thank you for being here. We love that you join us every week. Uh, Of course, you can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram for useful news updates and uh, always highly opinionated commentary. Our handle on both platforms is at African Roundup. On Facebook, you'll find us at facebook.com forward slash African Tech Roundup. But before we get on with the show, this episode of the African Tech Roundup is brought to you by Audible. You can get a free audiobook download and a 30 day free trial at audibletrial.com forward slash Tech with over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, or MP3 player. So go ahead and sign up and listen to a brilliant John Carney piece taken from the Wall Street Journal called Fintech Party May Attract Crashes. Mm. Just click through to audibletrial.com forward slash African Tech for your free audiobook. I'll get straight into the news for this week. First up, an American criminal named Perrin Vidal-Clark has left a leading development school in Kenya holding a baby. This is a ridiculous story, right?
1: No, it's pretty sad, Andele. I mean, um, we find someone trying to make a difference and uh, we find someone else coming through to take advantage. It's very sad.
0: Now, in 2013, Martha Chumo, who was then only 19 years old, uh, founded the development school in Nairobi and... um, was making an incredible difference across Silicon Savannah. A gentleman named Perrin Clark came onto the scene and uh, took up the reins as a CEO of the organization, only he he wasn't what he seemed.
1: Yeah, it seemed uh, he had a suspicious past and... um no one picked up on it, which is uh, pretty sad.
0: It's unfortunate. So, of course, Martha being the chairperson of this organization, uh, a number of high-profile advisors at Advisor Development School um, but um, allegations of embezzlement, burglary, uh, corruption in general have come to the fore. Perrin Vidal-Clark, it, it turns out, has a pretty shocking criminal record from the United States of America. And, yeah, is, has left this development school on its knees. A big shout-out to iAfrican.com. Of course, yeah. uh, my my mates and co-hosts on the show here, Mo happy leading the charge in terms of uh, breaking the story on the continent. What do we learn from this, do you think, Nzwi?
1: It's always important to do your research. And I think one thing that we pick out is uh, the difference between a board of directors and a board of advisors. Advisors can only function with the information that they're actually furnished with, whereas uh, directors put in policies so that something like this doesn't actually take place in an organization.
0: Also, I'm sure there's a, much, there's a huge difference in the legal obligation of a director of a company versus, say, an advisor to a nonprofit in this case. Um, some very high-profile names being listed here, Eric Hirschman, uh, Shiko Gitao, Josiah Mugambi, Jessica Kolako. And, and I'm not mentioning them to, to sort of implicate them in this matter, but like, like you say – there's probably only so much they could do as advisors. So maybe it also speaks to the kind of structure that needed to be in place for uh, an organization like this to ensure its safety.
1: Yeah, that's right. And I mean, we we also have to make note that I'm sure all these guys were doing it in good faith and they never expected someone to actually come in and uh, take advantage of them when they were making such a big difference in their
0: community. It also says something about how readily we are to accept help from outside. Um, unvetted help from outside, when um, whether it's in investors or uh, potential leaders for our organizations, it almost feels as though if someone's from the outside, from across the seas, we give them a benefit of the doubt um, that we might not give a local. You know, which is which is sad.
1: Yeah, that's true. So I think one thing that we learned here is even though we get excited about someone joining who might uh, benefit an organization or a new project, it's always important to do your background checks.
0: For sure, for ongoing updates to the story, be sure to uh, follow iAfrican on Twitter at iAfrican. And um, the hashtag K-O-T is popping. And of course, (laughs) yeah, people uh, factoring in their opinion. A lot of upset Kenyans out there, and for good reason. I have a feeling, though, that the development school will survive this and all the best to them. Moving to Nigeria now, where uh, African smartphone maker MyPhone is celebrating an interim injection. Uh, served by a Nigerian court. It prevents MyPhone's Chinese competitor, Xiaomi, from selling phones branded Mi. That's M-I. And uh, we actually caught up with uh, the MyPhone CEO, Alpesh Patel, this, this past week. And uh, this is what he had to say about the, the new developments around that uh, legal bid. Take a listen.
2: Interesting story. Um, we have our brand registered for seven years. Uh, last week, we won the interim court injunction against Xiaomi in Nigeria. The, uh, the notices are going out this week. Anyone selling any product that is labeled MI in Nigeria that has not been supplied by us has to remove their products from the shelf. That is a fantastic, fantastic interim victory for a small African brand that has followed the due course of law by registering their brands and their trademarks from seven years ago. We are in a court case with them in South Africa and in Kenya. And you know what? The truth will always prevail. I have to protect what I built. I'm not saying that I've built something substantial, but you know, at the end of the day, I just don't want the African consumer, because the, today there's more phones in Africa than there is Xiaomi. I don't want a customer who buys a Xiaomi to go into my service center and say, can you please fix this phone? Because they have the same MI brand. I don't mind competition. If Xiaomi comes with an X1 phone, no problem. But you come with an MI, you're going to face challenges.
0: Definitely a big win for Alpesh and his team. What do you reckon?
1: Yeah, it's, it's definitely a big win. If you look at Xiaomi, that's a major label. If you go in China, you'll find it all over the place, and... Uh, they have substantial financial ba- uh, backing. So this is a, this is definitely a big win for them.
0: Do you think it's an honest mistake on the part of Xiaomi, huge organization, or do you think this was a very calculated move into the African market, knowing full well that my phone is relatively dominant in an area that they're only entering? What do you think? What do you reckon? I
1: would think that uh, Xiaomi, being the big company it is, they would have definitely done their background. So uh, background checks. Uh, because of their financial backing, they would have just said, "Hey, let's go for it." Then, whatever the results, we'll face them along the line. Yeah.
0: And this past week, of course, uh, this injunction was published in newspapers all over Nigeria. the The products are being pulled from the shelves, left, right, and center. I think this is also a win for African law in general. And I, I don't want to lump a whole continent into one, but I think there's a perception in in the developed world that uh, developing markets like ours on the continent, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, aren't serious about law, ideas, trademarks, uh, copyright uh, is not enforceable or protectable on the continent. This shows quite clearly that we're not messing around.
1: Yeah, no, definitely that's true. I mean, we have uh, problems in terms of corruption in our continent. Uh, but seeing this uh, happening to a small African uh, manufacturer, uh, it's, 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 it's amazing uh, that they're able to actually protect their turf against a major player like xiaoming it's very encouraging for us
0: also an object lesson for startup founders all over the continent that listen guys uh cr- dot your eyes and cross your t's if there's anything i learned from my chat with our this past week is that but not about the size of your idea it's about how well you execute it and it's about how how, how well you you anticipate some of the problems that will arise in the future and make provision for them now
1: Yes, so, so let's use those law instruments that are actually there for us, such as trademarks and patents, to protect what, what, what's ours.
0: It's also something you mentioned in your comment last week when we were talking about the Vodacom situation. Um, the latest person to sort of take Vodacom to court over, quote-unquote, stealing an idea, perhaps this is the precise sort of approach that that company should have taken. Perhaps this would have prevented the situation where we, we see them accuse Vodacom of basically stealing their idea.
1: Yeah, definitely, that's true. I mean, you have a leg to stand upon when you actually have uh, your pattern and your your trademark. If you have that, then let the law take its course uh, wherever you're facing.
0: Ain't nothing personal. Now, I, I caught Alpesh Patel at What's Next uh, FinTech this past week. And, of course, I could not resist but ask him about that MyPhone Uber partnership that we covered some weeks back. Now, of course, we, we panned it slightly. <laughs> we just called PR on the matter. But here's Alpesh telling us uh, why it's, in fact, quite an exciting development. Take a listen to this.
2: Most of the guys that buy MyPhones, they're the first-time users of smartphones. And we want them to download the Uber for the first time. And every first-time user that uses a my, the code MYAFRICA gets up to $10 off in various currencies of their first taxi ride. So imagine if I have a $50 smartphone and my competition has a $50 smartphone, but I'm giving you a free ride, or not a free ride, but a ride with up to $10 discount. I'm actually selling you that phone for $40, but I'm not dropping my price. That's what you call value. Okay. It's a one-time discount that the user gets for using Uber first time. But I think it's just a nice way for Uber to capture that first-time customer to experience Uber's uh, uh, services. But also it gives us the benefit of being able to differentiate ourselves, not because of price, 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 because someone would always beat us on price. The Chinese are all over the place. But differentiating ourselves by affiliating with really cool brands, but also giving value to the guy who buys our smartphone.
0: But also a cool brand that people actually want to use and will, will actually add value to their lives, which I think is the frustration with a lot of us who buy smartphones these days. You've preloaded apps you will never use, don't really want, can't remove. All right.
2: And that's why you you watch out. In the next two months, we're launching a very good app portal called My Black. It's going to be called call My Black because it's the Black youth lifestyle of Africa, and it's going to be an amazing new app that's coming out. You're going to just just, just watch out for it.
0: You need to have uh, you know tech broadcasters on that platform, man. You know where to look, though, eh?
2: I don't have to look anywhere. I'm looking at you. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you have it on tape too. All
2: right, no problem.
0: Well, as we spoke about when we first covered the uh, the partnership, of course, um, some onboarding benefits for Uber. Some reputational benefits for my phone, and of course, the one thing we didn't mention the last time is the fact that when you do buy a my phone device, it has the Uber app on it, and when you do sign up, you get a discount. That's that's quite interesting. Of course, it's a once-off discount, but all in all. Uh, a pretty decent partnership and a-, a useful app on your phone it isn't like flipboard or one of those annoying apps that you can't remove on your Samsung device or something like that so yeah big up to them yeah
1: no big up to them i mean it's 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 wonderful to see when um, an international brand like uber uh, works with a local brand like myphone so that that gives a lift to everyone out there who's actually uh, rolling out something locally uh, that it's it is possible to partner up with major brands outside.
0: Well, this next story should be interesting to you. Uh, being the researcher you are, Nsgui um, our listeners might not know, but of course Nsgui is working on his doctorate um, uh, focusing on mobile payments with the University of Pretoria. Um, however, a new academic paper published in uh, Nature Photonics by some South African and Italian researchers uh, now unpacks findings around an exciting new type of laser that uh, will hopefully be used in optical communication, laser machining, and even medical uh, applications. How, how excited should we be? Uh, being, being the researcher you know, and you know the long timelines uh, between discovering something exciting, finding uh, a trend in data, uh, and an actual applied uh, uh, technology based on that research. Like, How excited should we be about an announcement like this?
1: Uh, it's, it's good to definitely be excited about it. Um, however, we need to understand that in research, uh, you start off at a theoretical level, then uh, you work on that theory. Uh, so to actually see it uh, in action, uh, we are looking at uh, b- a substantial time frame. Uh, so we should be excited. It's, it's, a, it's a wonderful win for, for us uh, to, to, ha- to be producing uh, such quality work on an international level. But it usually takes time uh, when it comes to rolling it out in the commercial space.
0: Well, yeah. So, congratulations to the folks at Vitz University. Um, Andrew Forbes of Vitz University came up with the idea. Uh, he led the collaboration uh, with the University of Naples, and of course uh the key experiments were performed by daryl naidu of the csir i'm heartened by the participation of the csir which of course is a government a government-run institution a parastatal as we call it here in south africa usually criticized for not being as useful a resource in the aid of developing innovation and contributing to technological advancement but in this case showing that government does have a role to play in in pushing technology and innovation forward
1: yeah, definitely. I mean, this people need to remember that this is also a channel for development and for innovation. And wherever funds are availed for innovation, it is a win for, 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 for the government. It's a win for us uh, who are in the country. Yeah.
0: I suppose people tend to oversimplify how long it takes for, oh, say, a, a, an institution like the CSR to develop technologies around, say... Desalination and and providing water for all uh, that kind of thing. But I mean, again, hat to, to the to the CSRR for being involved uh, in this project. And we look out for some of the industrial, perhaps even commercial applications of this laser. Uh, perhaps license agreements, looking to the likes of perhaps Siemens or Samsung or some large corporate like that to apply it into a into the medical field, uh, the optical uh, communication field, laser machining would. Uh, I'm looking forward to that. And uh, give us a shout. Uh, the folks at Vitz, the folks at CSR, as soon as you guys have something like that really concrete, we want to be the first to know. Now, staying with South Africa, Internet's micro-jobbing service, Money for Jam, uh, also known as M4Jam, has reportedly ceased operations after failing to report a profit. Strange, given how, I think some time ago, I remember reading in a uh, leading publication, uh, industry publication, that um, uh, their CEO at the time claimed they were profitable from day one. So... I suppose it's so sad given how InfoJam is largely considered one of the up-and-coming uh, innovative startups to watch and that kind of thing. Every time you have a conversation with people from the startup scene and they, and they, and they try and, 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 and pull out an example of a, a, a good example of a startup to watch, InfoJam comes up and unfortunately, mm, it's tough, eh?
1: Yeah but uh we have to remember that it's 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 part of life if if you start something there's always an opportunity for it to fail but what is Im- what's important is that you keep on going uh regardless on what happens in the past so uh it was a great idea it didn't work out but I'm sure they learned their lessons
0: Look I I was always concerned with the model uh given how they launched on the instant messaging service WeChat and The idea was great. I I think the reliance on a platform they don't control, i.e. WeChat, was problematic. So the idea is, as a user, you could perform, quote-unquote, a micro-job. You could earn money doing that. Um, And, of course, every time you completed that job, they would charge you a a license fee, and they'd make money that way. Um, They claim to have 70,000 users. And we've asked the question on this show, what sort of traction in terms of user onboarding? in in the African context, that is, would render a startup like this viable?
1: Wow, that's a interesting question, Andile. I think um, it's it's always interesting to 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 note when it comes to these stats. Uh, sometimes it might be just a registration, uh, and it's not an active user. So, I think the value is on the active, regular users instead of the per- the people who have just registered and are dormant on the on the platform.
0: That's an excellent point. Even going back to what we were talking about earlier with uh, the MyPhone and Uber partnership, uh, it's one thing to to have the the app preloaded; it's quite another for someone to actually register. And quite another for someone to use the, the app on a regular basis, in which case with an Uber, I imagine the pressure for that partnership to deliver value wouldn't be as high as, say, uh, M4Jam's need for someone who signs up with their servers to actually become an active user. And the, clearly not enough active users uh, if, if anything that's going on right now is, is, any, is anything to go by. Um, look, this is particularly alarming given how they've they've had some big names sort of vote towards their success. Uh, Nasperis and Tencent apparently invested in this venture. And um, I think it also just goes to show that just because VC interests show interest in you and perhaps even provide you money doesn't guarantee success.
1: It's a long and difficult journey to, to actually run a successful uh, startup and to see it through uh, the growth stages.
0: So the board's decided to cease trading um, and sell the assets to people who might be interested. I'm not sure what those assets might look like given the model they they run. Uh, They have said that there is a possibility that they could um, access further resources, extend their runway. I can't imagine if the... If the model has deli- hasn't delivered uh, value so far, that might be the case. I, I fully expect them n- not to recover from this. I do expect a lot of the learnings, like you say, a lot of the, the really smart, intelligent people that have been involved to filter to other organizations and perhaps use what they've learned to make it work there. I want to ask you, in the context of you being an entrepreneur, I know you have business interests in Zimbabwe, you've, you're quite intimately involved with in the startup scene there. What do you take away from that uh, in the context of growing startups on the continent?
1: It's a process. People fail every day, but it's important to always get up. So as you're going along, you're learning your lessons, uh, you have several ideas, you try to roll them out. Not all of them are going to be successful, but one of them one day will be successful. So it's it's, it's all about being uh, being dedicated to the dream of actually running a successful uh, startup at the end of the day.
0: And how, how do you know when to call it quits? I mean, it's clear that there was you know, a board sat and, and decided, guys, you know, enough now. And by the way, if you're wondering what's going to happen to all the outstanding jobs if you've subscribed to the service, uh, they've basically asked everyone to cash out before the end of, uh, before the end of March, um, cash out any outstanding jobs uh, that you have with them. And of course, if you posted a job on, on their site, they have promised refunds to you as well. When do you know when to call it quits?
1: Well, personally, it's when there's little or no interest uh, from uh, from the customer side. Because at the end of the day, businesses are there to actually make money and provide a service. So when you see that there's little interest or no interest, I usually call it quits.
0: I suppose the admission here is this is likely more a cash flow problem and not a profit problem, (laughs) i.e. not sufficient buy-in for this idea. Let's call it quits.
1: Yeah, I totally agree.
0: Oh, well, well, listen, our last story this week comes out of Zimbabwe. The one thing we do have in common, we, among other things, is that we both come from Zimbabwe. And that's where the government has just recently rejected a proposal made by mobile telcos to ban or even regulate OTTs like WhatsApp and Viber, which are very popular there. What do you think of this? Minister superman Zira, of course, the Minister of uh, Information, Communication and Technology, as well as Courier Services, has basically told telcos, well, Ain't going to happen. I feel this is like deja vu, Andele.
1: Because not too long ago, uh, fixed uh, telcos were trying to defend their their turf when mobile network operators were trying to enter the market. And now we find the mobile network operators changing seats or changing roles. And they're the ones who are now trying to defend their turf by uh, blocking these uh, OTT services like WhatsApp and Viber.
0: Oh, how things come around, don't they? Listen, that's, what's crazy is how uh, Minister Mandio you know, just flipped the script on these guys. So these guys come basically lobbying government for, like, hey, regulate these guys. They're tying into our profits. You know, we're, soon we're going to have to retrench people. And the government says, oh, Thank you so much for bringing this to our attention. Thank you so much. Thank you. I know what we need to do. We need to create a fund, an, in, an innovation fund that will allow you guys to develop the kind of innovative startups that can compete with the likes of WeChat and WhatsApp and, and Viber. And you know who's going to pay for it? You guys will. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Angela, this, uh, it, I mean, it's, it's, it's a fantastic idea. I mean, if, if we look at the mobile telcos, uh, their, their messaging service is SMS. And since, since, the, since the implementation of, of mobile network operators, they have never really developed SMS. It's been overpriced. It, you still get delayed SMSs. So they have really not worked on any innovation when it comes to their messaging platforms. So I think it's, it's awesome that uh, they've actually decided, okay, we're going to create a fund. Let's build something that's better than WhatsApp and roll it out.
0: I think it's hilarious though that they went to uh, to the minister looking for relief and the minister says here's your relief you pay for innovation.
1: <laughs> no, it's I mean it's I, I think I think it's fair because they they've re- reaped the rewards basically. When we look at SMS, SMS used to cost so much and they ripped their uh, the rewards when there was no whatsapp and the, when there was no fiber so yeah
0: here's to hoping uh, the next big uh, innovation in uh, in the data space uh, or at least instant messaging space will uh, will come out of zimbabwe well at this rate it might just because of all the money the telcos will be putting towards it so yeah hilarious i thought that was quite funny listen for our discussion segment though this week we'll be sharing some of the highlights from Nest VC's What's Next FinTech event that went down at the Standard Bank incubator incubator in Joburg last week. Now, what we're going to do is we're going to play some clips, um, some audio that we collected um, from the show, and then we'll unpack them a little. I think a good place to start is by listening to MFS Africa CEO Dare Okoju uh, answering a question we asked him about what incumbents in the financial industry might be doing wrong, Uh, you know, the sort of things that are making them ripe for disruption. Here it is.
3: I think it will be, again, unjustified to, to throw too much stone at them because every company, every industry is, goes through this. 15 years ago, 16 years ago, when I started working as a consultant for PwC in, in Paris, we were saying this about media companies. They are like, oh, you know, they're so old, they haven't transformed, they've been disrupted and so on. Look, 15 years, fast forward, media companies have transformed for the better. So I do believe banks and financial institutions can do this journey. It gets to a point in the life of any industry that you get challenged and you have to reinvent your DNA. And I think they're going through that. And some will do, will will manage the transition and will get it, and the other ones will die. It's as simple as that. And I think they're quite mindful of it, uh, pretty much all of them.
0: What would you say to startup founders who might be a tad too bullish about what it actually takes to set up a a business that can last... Centuries, like the the incumbents have done.
3: Well, I think yeah, I think uh, you know it's a journey, right? You and you need to have the stomach for it. Or at least you need to learn uh, to stomach it. And I would say, and we ourselves, I wouldn't say we we know everything. We we made a lot of mistakes along the way, and we learned from them. And one of the mistakes we made, and if I can give a piece of advice, is around focus, and is around you know picking a simple problem and solve it, and and solve it better than anyone else. I think. It sounds like cliche, but we learn the hard way to focus and I think if you 're going to attack incumbent, if you 're going to attack large organization like that, you have to be like laser that 's how you can cut through still because it 's so focused and if, if you 're going in too much direction and sometimes the, the journey of entrepreneurship throw you in different direction i 'm not saying be obnoxious, ob- 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 i, I don 't know if that 's obnoxious obnoxious yes. And you need to obviously reassess where you are every now and then, and if you're on the right path. But you have no chance if you keep moving, you know, right, left, center, and you, you can't take them on. But if you focus, if if you pick one place that you keep hitting, eventually it falls.
0: Actually, the advice you're giving is what we're seeing in some of the larger institutions, Standard Bank with their Africa focus, uh, Barclays with their. With their decision, we, we have no idea what they're doing. We yet we don't know yet. We'll find out soon. Well, they're clearly not betting on emerging markets from the from the looks of it. Well, but uh, to be fair
3: to them again, you have to make the distinction of the Barclays in the UK, and you have to be, and the people we deal with here in Africa. I think people we deal with here are still going to be around, uh, at least most of them. And they might be called something else. They might be in different form, but the assets are still fantastic. I said the platform they have is still fantastic, and you know, I think they're still. You know, it's like, again, it's a challenge that got thrown at them, and I'm sure they can make something out of it.
0: And there's old mutual as well, and bundling. Haven't told us what they're going to do with their Africa business.
3: Yes, we don't know. We, but that one has always been a bit wishy-washy. I mean, there's the thing with EcoBank going on, which we watch closely. Bank is a, is an important, uh, it's an important partner of, of us. We, we we bank with EcoBank in many countries, and. Uh, so we watch NetBank through that angle. And we'll, the, the announcement that came out, it's an interesting one. We'll watch it closely. It's, a, it's actually a bit uh, counterintuitive, right, for what, what we were saying. But we might see more of those uh, in, the, in, the, in the months and years to come.
0: So which niches? You're speaking to startup founders now, potential startup founders uh, listening to us right now. Which niches do you think are ripe for disruption or at least... Uh, domination you know if you were going to pick one or two three niches to start a, a fintech business which niches would you pick if you have, were forced to pick today
3: well you know Andile, there, there is something something helps you follow the money you know where investment been going in in the last two to three years and to lot around e-commerce i mean the whole e-commerce space and simplification both for merchants and consumers on how they transact online that's there is a huge room for improvement and disruption in there. And there's been a lot of investment going in there, which say something about it. The other area is around the pause. I think, again, especially in Africa, I think the whole square model, you know, the dongle or whatever you want to call it, I think has some legs. And again, we've, we've seeing quite a, a lot of investment there. And the last one is personal finance. You know, whether being loans or insurance or savings product simplified in a certain manner. That also has been, has been uh, receiving a lot of attention, you know, things around unsecured lending. How many people, once you move out of South Africa, you don't have the credit bureaus anymore. Well, there's a billion people there to serve. How are you going to serve them? How are you going to lend to those people? How are you going to give them insurance and so on? So the whole area of personal finance, I would say probably the hardest and probably the one that's going to take longer to come and there's going to be a lot of blood on the floor in that one. A lot of people will try and fail. But the one that will be able to reinvent and learn and capitalize will actually hit something big, I'm pretty sure.
0: Now, before we talk about uh, the incumbents within the financial industry and Daré's take on their ability to adapt to a lot of the disruption that's going on, what do you make of some of the the areas within FinTech he's excited about? Do you think micro-lending, uh, microfinance, is as big a deal as, as Daré thinks? Uh,
1: definitely. I mean, in the African... Uh, context it's uh, we have to look at the number of people that are actually unbanked, and those unbanked people uh, are actually becoming unbanked using uh, mobile money, and that is an awesome opportunity to start providing uh, micro financing so we have all these people that are coming on board uh, who have uh, never really had access to loans. Having the ability to actually get loans uh, through this digital uh, channel
0: thinking off off the top of my head i 'd imagine that lending is related to what i 'd consider some of the more scary, more unstable elements of global finance you know and everything that could potentially go wrong i e bubbles bursting and that kind of thing uh, What do you think of that are, are the Are the returns in terms of the interest charged uh, at a a sort of microloans level uh, sufficient to to cover the risks involved? I
1: would think so, because uh, lending through these these new channels like uh, mobile money uh, make it possible for someone to actually have a track record. So you know how much someone maybe is actually putting into their phone over a space of six months or a year and you can actually do trend analysis on that. And then you can also know that that person might actually be encouraged to finance or to, to, to actually pay back that loan because no one wants to get rid of their cell phone or cell phone number uh, that they've had for many, many years. So I would, I would think that the, the risks are managed, and it's, it's a great opportunity, especially in our African context.
0: Mm, I get it now. Now, coming back to Daré's apparent faith in incumbents within the financial industry to adapt to this disruption, you just described a scenario where I don't, I don't imagine, immediately think of, say, a Barclays or a Standard Chartered, or um, even in the South African context or the African context, a Standard Bank. or you know, I, I don't think of those kind of entities when I think of the innovations you've just described and who's best to to respond to that opportunity. Do you really think these guys can survive um, uh, this new age of opportunity?
1: I would have to say that most of the financial institutions have been caught with their pants down uh, with all this innovation and uh, disruptive uh, technology. However, there's um, there are some that uh, saw this uh, and actually started planning ahead. Uh, specifically, I, I'll look at uh, Botswana. Uh, you'll find that the financial institutions in Botswana have an extensive network of um, EFT point-of-sale agents. And uh, that has allowed them to have this wide reach and provide their services to a range of, of clients uh, without them actually having to walk in, into their banks. So some, some actually thought about this and made way or actually started innovating themselves.
0: And in some African nations, like Nigeria, for example, where mobile telcos and and other uh, would-be fintech disruptors have been told point-blank that um, they will need financial services licenses in order to operate. I suppose the government doing its part to make sure that the the industry is protected. How long do you think um, that sort of uh, legislative protection can be expected to keep them safe?
1: I think sooner or later, the regulators... Uh, will finally realize that they are actually holding the country back. Uh, because once you start uh, legislation and holding back innovation, uh, you're left behind while the rest of the countries around you are moving forward and they can compete uh, better than you can. I think it's a, it's a wrong move on the regulators' part.
0: And then, of course, what Dari mentioned about improving your chances of success, whether you're a startup or an incumbent, by focusing, by having laser focus in a, in a specific niche. Uh, there's something to that, isn't there?
1: No, definitely. Because in, 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 in our context, there, there are so many opportunities where the industry is still very young when it comes to the mobile payments. So you'll you find that uh, there are so many opportunities that are still out there that uh, are waiting. Uh, to be taken advantage of.
0: I suppose the tricky bit, if you're a startup, um, uh, perhaps less so if you're an incumbent because of all the data you have, or at least legacy data you might have, is determining how profitable, a pot- potentially profitable a niche is and, and and whether to go for it or not. You know,
1: One of the interesting areas that, uh, that I've seen in the fintech uh, space is the aspect of digital money. Uh, Because at the end of the day, you find that uh, traditional cash and um, all these other payments that are traditional, they can't really compete when it comes to the digital space. And so as more services and as more goods are available in the digital world, uh, cash might actually start uh, falling away.
0: I'm sure the homies in the Bitcoin space are going, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, definitely, definitely.
0: <laughs> okay, well, our next clip features Geraldine Mitchley, who is Senior Director of Strategic Partnerships and Emerging Payments at Visa. Now, we asked her what Visa's MO is in terms of buying innovation in through startup acquisitions. Now, we know large uh, companies like Visa and others may f- be challenged to discover and act on innovative ideas you know, internally and, and sometimes might need to, to bring them in. Uh, through acquisition. Now, this is what Jerry had to say about that.
4: So there's not a one-size-fits-all model. We do have quite an active uh, ventures model. You're not necessarily going to see us uh, making acquisitions just to gain footprints or to gain competency, Um, but what you will see is a lot of investment behind the scenes uh, where we see uh, uh, some kind of innovation or disruptive technology that's enabling something that we see as strategically important for us to invest in. So there's a couple of examples uh, we can cite, for example, Lupe, where we got them kind of on the path to enabling their technology for a global interoperable way because of the clever enablement that they were facilitating and got behind them in terms of venture, which then uh, subsequently put them in a great position for them to sell themselves onto Samsung. So that's an example of really our philosophy around uh, investment is looking at backing uh, companies and, and innovation that is, is going to be accelerating something that is strategically important to us.
0: So you wouldn't necessarily be looking to acquire promising fintech startups, you know, in the fear of being left behind, as it were?
4: Look, I did say it's not necessarily a one-size-fits-all. If there was some kind of acceleration, a uh, uh, business rationale behind that, it's definitely a possibility. So it's it's not a definite no, it's not a definite yes, but we're not just in, in the sake of acquiring uh, for the sake of, um, you know, just bolting on some utility. We would rather walk a path together with a company through an investment approach.
0: Well, Jerry's comments definitely pointing towards a rather conservative approach towards uh, acquiring uh, startups or buying in innovation as it were, at least a Visa.
1: We have to realize that there's a lot of risk when it comes to uh, new startups and uh, these new technologies. So I can understand um, her view or Visa's view of walking through uh, with the startup, then as they go, they can see how the technology or how the idea is actually developing. If they want to cut their ties, then then they cut their ties before they have actually sunk in uh, too much money.
0: The thing is, though, I suppose if you think about innovation, in its very nature, in its rawest form, you look at an Uber who uh, no doubt approached many VC interests trying to sell them on this 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 futuristic and perhaps at the time they were pitching it, pretty unrealistic take on what the world might look like in terms of the shared economy, uh, a world that maybe I'm not saying he pitched Visa or they they pitched Visa early on, but may may have may have done, and it, and it Visa looking at their current model, their legacy business, going oh there's no room for this, even if you are onto something new, there's no room for it. I have no doubt they would look back on that and go hey. <laughs> That was something we might have wanted to jump on uh, very early on. In some respect, I think companies need to be open to, to rolling the dice on on startups and trying to imagine a future that doesn't mirror anything they've ever had to deal with before.
1: Yeah, Geraldine mentioned that they they do focus on their str- on on what is uh, strategically important to them. So from company to company, we see that they they have different strategies and they have different goals and objectives. So you as a, as a, As a entrepreneur, you would have to go around and uh, find the right partner who will work with you
0: yeah. that 's a brilliant segue into our next clip. Uh, a gentleman named Sichabangweya is the founder of a fintech startup called Creditable, and his company is enjoying a season of respite after five years of like serious toil. Now, this is his take on playing nice with incumbent financial institutions in order to further his company's objectives. He's finally gotten in with some uh, key banks in Hong Kong. Take a listen.
5: What we do is that we turn um, companies into banks for their employees. And the reason we exist is because blue-collar workers don't have access to banking services. Yes, they have bank accounts, but the bank accounts... um, do very, very little to uplift them.
0: I know that in a, in a world that allowed startups to, to have banking licenses, you would have long had one by now, uh, but you have to play nice with, with incumbents that have run the system for a while now. Tell me a little bit about that struggle and, and where the angst lies for you.
5: All right. I, I want to say there isn't a lot of angst. Um, there's a great opportunity to change banks from within, especially the smaller banks, the tier three banks, who have a lot more to gain. Um, We're playing nice with them, um, obviously, because we don't have our own banking license. But they're also playing nice with us to catch up to the big incumbents um, who may not have recognized these opportunities.
0: Now, for those of you who actually missed the What's Next FinTech uh, event, uh, you really did miss out on some of the very candid commentary that uh, Sichawa had to say about uh, trying to interest uh, uh, incumbents. Uh, on, on some of the innovation his company and others are, are bringing to the table. And um, c- congratulations to him because he's managed to uh, to get the nod from DBS Bank in, in Hong Kong. They're, they're running an extended trial with them. He sold them on the potential of his company's innovation uh, to deliver value. Now, as you know, like he mentioned, DBS being a, a, a tier three bank in the context of, of banking in Hong Kong and indeed in Asia and around the world, certainly not a large bank, but... Uh, certainly a bank that knows well and good that if they're going to be part of the future, they're going to need the kind of innovation that Sichaba and his company can deliver. What do you make uh, of his comments, nzwi
1: Firstly, I want to say that it's encouraging to see a local entrepreneur, a local innovator, uh, creating a solution, then not having success locally, but finding success somewhere else in the world where uh, this bank, DBS... Is actually seeing uh, potential in his solution. So keep at it, uh, Shab.
0: Uh, what does it say about the 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 banking fraternity on the continent that, uh, that Shab, no doubt, trotted his ideas out to and uh, gave him a cold shoulder?
1: Uh, what what can we say? I mean, many have have gone through the same experience as Shab. I'm sure, and they can testify that it's not easy uh, because uh, these are. International banks, these are banks that have been running for a very long time. Uh, they are settled in, and they, are, uh, they have this market, and they are comfortable. So it's it's very hard to come in and uh, sell your idea, and for them to actually take it up and uh, run with it.
0: While we're holding mm-hmm. thumbs with Chaba and his team at Creditable... Uh over the next three months, his fate, <laughs> their fate will be sealed uh, because, of course, they've been running with DBS for the past three months. And in another three months, they'll be making an assessment as to whether there's actual value delivered by the innovations they provide uh, and then determine whether or not DBS will be a partner going forward. So we'll be, wishing, we'll be looking out for them uh, and wishing them all the best. Now, finally, we asked technology and product director at fintech startup Yoko, Lungi Samchoba, and the founder and head of product at Giraffe, Shaffin and Washer, uh, to tell us two things. Firstly, in hindsight, the one thing they would have done less of as they built their companies up to what we see today, relatively successful startups, and things that in retrospect they would have done a lot more of. So here's the clip. Lungi goes first, and then Shaffin factors in later.
6: So I think I'll start with the thing we would have done more of. Um, you know, If I look back on our history as a company, um, one of the things that served us really well at the start when we sort of uh, found the organization was we were super optimistic about everything we could do. Um, which meant that we looked at the space and we were like, we can do that, we can get in there, it's so easy to get in there, let's go, let's go, let's go. And I think over time, you get into a bit of a reality phase where you start to realize, okay, wait, no, there may be certain things you can't do. And we're now going back to a more positive space where it's like, no, let's keep pushing. Let's make sure we're constantly, you know, having a sense of like we can achieve anything. And I think that's probably the most, th- the thing that I want to do more of because at the start, that was the most powerful thing. We wouldn't have been able to even launch the business if we weren't living in that sort of optimistic place where you feel like you can do anything. So it's probably the most powerful thing.
0: And the thing you'd, you'd have done less of or avoided it entirely?
6: So in terms of the thing I would have avoided entirely, I think especially at the start when we set off, we spent too much time trying to raise investment capital from people who would not give us capital. You know, so one of the things we, we went around and we saw so many different people and we hadn't yet learned how to filter out who's going to give you money and who's not. You know, and I think to be honest, one of the biggest uh, filters that we learned was have a look at their history. You know, you're not going to be the first of anything. Every now and then you have a company be the first, but if they've never invested in a, in, a, in a company like yours, there's a big risk they're not going to do it. So we waste a lot of time speaking to funds that hadn't invested in Africa and weren't interested necessarily in investing. Speaking to local investors that hasn't taken the kind of risk that we were needing them to take, given what we needed to raise and what we needed to do. So we really had to realize that, look, filter them out very quickly. Don't engage in overly long conversations with people who you know or you aren't going to get there. Why? You need to see a lot of people to raise capital. So have a very strong filtration process. You revisit them in later rounds, but move on.
0: All right. Well, and your two, something you do more of and something you d- cut out completely or not do anymore. So
5: Funny enough, in terms of cut off, it's pretty much the exact same thing. Uh, investment in, in Africa, in South Africa, the ecosystem is is extremely young, right? And to your point earlier... Um, because there's so much limited capital they only look at two metrics you know revenue and you know fine user acquisition is relevant but revenue revenue and revenue growth and You know, there's so many of these conversations we've had. And for us, when we're testing this concept, we told them, you know, we're not actually monetizing yet. And this was just something that a lot of the South African investors simply couldn't fathom. And, you know, we would have like lengthy discussions with them over three month periods, only to realize actually, seriously, because you guys aren't generating revenue yet, maybe you're a bit too early stage. And, you know, we should conclude these discussions now. Like, hey, why, why did you entertain these discussions for three months, you know? So, yes, definitely stop wasting your time on, on, on useless investors. Um, and especially at the, at the beginning, if you're, monetize, if you're not monetizing and you're bootstrapping and you're still trying to prove the concept, put your head down and focus on that. That's the most important thing. Um, and then do more of. I think it's just – and now I, I can easily say this because we're in a more optimistic time with our business, um, having just closed a seed round, which we haven't announced yet which will be announced at some point and, you know, having won this competition with with half a million dollars in equity funding. So we're we're a lot more, um, you know, optimistic, but throughout this journey, there was a lot of low points, right? We'd compare ourselves against um, Silicon Valley investors that have raised eight million, ten million US dollars in, you know, Series A and even in seed rounds, much higher than us. And we were like, "What are we doing? Is this market big enough? Is this something that will will get adopted?" And you know, um, some y- there are bad days and there are good days, and sometimes, you know, especially when you're bootstrapping and you haven't got that sort of validation from um, from investors, it's you know, it's tough to stay optimistic. Um, but, you know, I think there was an interesting article by uh, Paul, Paul, Paul Grimm, and he basically it was basically don't die, right? And it was an interesting article, and all, all he said was, as a startup, if for you to survive, all you need to do is you shouldn't die. And you need to do whatever you can to, to prevent that from happening. Um, and, you know, it's all about staying optimistic and staying positive and, you know, focusing on the business, focusing on your customer, focusing on your product. And eventually, you know, um, the metrics will turn up. I like that potting shot from Shaffin. don't die, focus on your focus.
1: <laughs> no, definitely. That's important, eh? Focus.
0: <laughs> a lot of people focus and still die. So that's the that's tricky, tricky thing about being a startup, though. <laughs>
1: uh, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's always a risk, you know, but it's, sometimes it's worth it at the end of the day. So it's better to always try.
0: That's true, but the one thing they both uh, they both ha- said that was interesting is don't waste time with these dud investors, man. <laughs> like uh, move on really quickly, work out very quickly if people are interested, and also don't approach people who who haven't had a uh, who don't have a track record of investing in African startups. Like just move on. Don't even get caught up in trying to in- impress people who who just aren't interested or, or, or can't be p- persuaded.
1: Yeah, it's, it's easier said than done, Anderlew, because when you're desperate and you really need that funding, you're going to listen to anybody and you're going to give time to anybody who seems as a potential. So it's, it's easier said than done.
0: But there's that Silicon Valley tendency uh, towards like spending insane amounts of time and energy trying to get investment to extend a runway as opposed to actually improving your product, actually making sure it works. We were just talking off mic about the fact that perhaps if M4Jam had launched in China, where WeChat is huge, uh, they might have secured the types of volumes that would have rendered their, their models sustainable as opposed to maybe be here and knock on the doors of places like Nasperis and say, hey, listen, look how great we are. Got the money, but ultimately failed.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's, it's definitely important to always be focusing on your concept.
0: And then of course there is plenty to be said uh, for staying positive and not dying. So <laughs> we won't knock that. Here's to all the startups out there, FinTech and otherwise don't die. My friends don't die. <laughs>
1: Oh, yeah. And self-belief. Self-belief is so important. I mean, you always have to be believing in your dream. That's going to keep you going when the times are tough.
0: Well, there we have it. Pretty much a decent snapshot of uh, the time we spent at the What's Next FinTech. If you didn't make it out... Please do not miss the next one. I can't say when that will be, but uh, hopefully uh, we'll work something out with our friends over at Nest VC. A big thank you, of course, to all the partners involved, uh, MyPhone, uh, Standard Bank and the Incubator, a good team at iAfrican.com, as well, of course, as a big thank you to our very own team right here at the African Tech Roundup. And, of course, thank you to you, Nzgui, for factoring your two cents. You better not miss the next one. Otherwise, we'll take it personal.
1: No, thanks a lot, Andele. This has been uh, quite an adventure.
0: For sure. And of course, listen, uh, you're probably wondering, where can we listen to the full conversations? Because uh, we've just played snippets on the show. Have no fear, my friends. We will be releasing the extended conversations we had with each of the uh, individuals we featured in this week's show in the coming weeks. Some of them were, you know, 15, 20 minutes long, some shorter. Um, but all of them, highly insightful and worth a listen. What I suggest you do is subscribe for uh, the newsletter that gets the podcast in straight to your inbox every Monday morning. You can do that by going straight Straight to African or you can uh, find us on SoundCloud at soundcloud.com forward slash African Tech Subscribe to us there. And as soon as uh, any of these interviews are come online, you will definitely get a notice straight to your smartphone and do it there. Of course, if you're already following us on social, you know where it's at, uh, at African Roundup on, on Instagram and Twitter. And on Facebook, we are facebook.com forward slash African Tech Roundup. Updates on any new content posted there. Follow us there uh, so that you don't miss a thing. Otherwise, once again, today's episode of the African Tech Roundup is brought to you by Audible. They're offering a free audiobook download with a free 30-day trial to give you the opportunity to check out their service. Now, this week, we're recommending something a little different. It's a brilliant John Carney piece written for the Wall Street Journal called... FinTech Party May Attract Crashes Touche, given everything we've discussed today <laughs> Now the title pretty much Gives away what he writes about in this article The only thing that is certain for the global financial Industry is that the future is Going to happen. The question is Will legacy players continue to dominate Or will disruptive upstarts end up Hosting the party? Now get John Carney's great article or any other Audiobook of your choice for free right now At audibletrial.com Forward slash tech. It's audibletrial.com forward slash African Tech. And that's the week's show, folks. Uh, be sure to listen in again next week. The next episode drops at 9 a.m. Central African time on africantechroundup.com. Uh, otherwise, again, it's a very big thank you to you, Sachi uh, Sachidembo, for joining me on the show. Um, all things being equal, therefore should join me again next week. Uh, in the meantime, it's cheers for me, Andy Lemassu, and of course, Nzguisi uh, Sachidembo.
1: Remember to focus on your focus.
0: Indeed you do peace out Africa